Hello and welcome to two, this week's episode of Flourish with Sibo. Hope you guys have been having a good week. Hope last week wasn't bad. This week is just starting out. I hope you've set your intentions for the week. Um, you're still going to get them on paper. Maybe you're still thinking about them in your mind. Maybe you're still going to put them on your to-do list. But I, I think setting your intentions for the week is really awesome because there's something we're writing it down. In terms of getting it done when you wrote when you've written it down, like it's more than fifty percent of the time you will get it done. Not always, but when you don't write it down, chances of you getting it done are not really like less than fifty percent. Okay, that was just a by the way. How are you guys doing? Hope you're doing so well. Um this week we are expanding on the mental health piece. Um, you can go back to last week's episode and the two episodes and the other episode before that when we spoke to Tuli and we've been talking about grief and she was sharing so generously with us uh, her own grief journey and her grief experience. So just a little now this week on grief and what it really is and how you can tell grief from depression. And I think you might want to get a pen and paper for this one or make a mental note um, because we're going to be sharing a lot of um, facts, facts and just to educate you a bit more on grief. So grab your pen and paper and join me. Hello and welcome to Flourish with Sibo. My name is Sibongile and I am a lady on a mission. I am on a mission to create community. And by community, I mean communion. I mean fellowship. I mean um, giving a voice to your everyday heroes. Yes, you will hear us on the podcast speaking to friends, colleagues, people that we just find inspiration and just ladies and men that we think are just flourishing so well in their lives because my purpose is to live life on purpose and for purpose understanding that to whom much is given much will be required but also knowing that we can never do this life thing alone so come on take along and tell a friend So welcome back, friends. And yes, as I have said, this week we are speaking and expanding more on grief. We just want to touch on what grief is, how we experience it, and um, how do we move towards healing uh, from grief and how do we help others. Remember, these episodes are not prescriptive. Um, I am not sitting here in my professional capacity this is a conversation remember to always go to your local doctor clinic or your gp um, wherever help is available to get help for yourself where someone will listen to your story and tailor whatever medication and customize it to who you uniquely are so i think this topic on grief and bereavement is very important especially because we are still um just in the midst of a global pandemic and we have seen and witnessed loss in 
massive ways and uh, we've lost loved ones uh, more than ever actually there's so many um statistics that are available right now i'm i was reading an article that was talking about uh deaths during covid they said that deaths by COVID-19 have left behind nearly 12 million percent bereaved individuals worldwide. And researchers are actually raising concerns that the circumstances of COVID-19 related deaths will lead to a rise of, pre- of a prevalence of what they called the prolonged grief disorder. We will t- briefly touch uh, on, on that as we speak in, in this episode. But isn't that crazy? Like 12 million um, bereaved people. Another article that said that it is estimated that the mass bereavement due to COVID-19 will leave behind nearly 60 million newly bereaved people globally. If deaths of close friends were counted, this number could even be larger. Okay. So I don't think we should not be taking grief seriously um um if you want to define what grief is marion webster says that it grief implies poignant sorrow so a sense of loss and a sense of guilt and remorse uh, for an immediate cause something immediate something that you've lost now and often we refer to someone who's grieving as the bereaved. So that is someone who's actually lost um, someone that um, they love. Um, we call them bereaved. Remember, loss is not just um, limited to losing a person. Some people lose their jobs, during, especially um, during this period um, in our lives um, with the global pandemic, people have lost their roles. Um, they used to be um, daughters. Now their parents are gone. So it's like, who am I really? You know, um, people have lost jobs. Um, you know, um, 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 the, the, the transition from an office job to a stay-at-home job work from home job which is my dream job <laughs> um some people are grieving that loss of community and being able to see your colleagues all the time uh some people um in this time have lost friends so the losing of of a loved one their financial loss which is a big one um, and all these things are so important because they all affect our quality of life. And if they affect our quality of life, they affect how we show up in life in general, which means they affect our mental health just um, in general. So you might think that grief is only limited to just losing loved ones but if you think about it people just been divorced uh, that is also a grief period that they've got that they go through um losing your house to fire a natural disaster that is also a grieving period so 
And when we speak about that feeling, that poignant feeling that Miriam Webster is referring to, that sense of loss and guilt and remorse, it can actually be referring to a couple of things. So what I'm trying to achieve with expanding this mental health piece is just to get you to understand yourself better if you are going through grief. Remember, grief is a universal feeling. There's just like happiness. There's no one on this earth who would say, I've never lost anything. You know, we've explained the different things that you can lose in your life and you can add to your own list. So it's universal. And the aim of this episode is to try and normalize grief and also see where you might actually be losing the plot. But like I said initially, it's not prescriptive. Remember, we are all unique and we experience grief in our own unique way. Um, there's been studies that have said, okay, you need, you know, at least six months to a year for you to grieve. And then after that, then it's, it's really pathological. It's really prolonged. I'm going to tell you briefly about prolonged grief disorder. But honestly, friend, this is your life. And we don't read books on how we, we actually grieve. And I think this is why there has been a lot of controversy around the um, Kubler-Ross um, stages of grief model. So who's Kubler-Ross? So in 1969, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross described five common stages of grief that are popularly actually referred to as the Dabda model. Um, it's actually a theoretical model of bereavement. And um, the function is that it must increase our understanding of grief and grieving, uh, particularly given the physical and mental health ramifications of the severe um, life event. Now, where the criticism comes is that um, other scholars are saying that grief doesn't follow a linear um, or a chronological um, um, sort of like a profile. Um, and I don't really think that's what she meant. But I think um, some of them say Kubler-Ross was very charismatic. That's why people, you know, really embraced this model and Time Magazine named as one of the most influential thinkers. But I think because of the universality of the problem and how all of us experience it, we needed a language, right? We needed someone who's going to come in and say, okay, this is what we're feeling. Isn't it like that? Like we always need someone who's going to name it for us because once it's named, it feels like we have power. So in this episode, I do acknowledge the controversies, but I will still speak on the grief, um, the five stages of grief as explained by Kubler-Ross, not as a prescriptive method, but as a way that will help us navigate the grief terrain. Not all of us will go through these five stages. Some of us will go through one, two, or maybe not even 
experience our grief like this. But I think it is a start and I hope that it can actually assist you. So it's called uh, Kubler-Ross uh, uh, Grief Model or the DABDA. So it's called DABDA because um, actually it's D-A-B-D-A that stands for the five stages. So the five stage that they talk about, if you listen to our previous podcast, um, was about denial. And so denial is the stage that can initially help you survive the loss. Okay. In this stage, you like, no, there is no way. Um, they're not dead. I, I, I know my friend said, their husband was maybe just visited somewhere. They're not gone. Um, life does not make sense. There's no meaning. It's too overwhelming. You you deny the news. And you go numb. I remember when I lost my mother. When actually, uh, before she even died. Um, Kubler-Ross, when she wrote the five-stage model... Uh, she actually extrapolated the data from um, a, a book uh, called On Death and Dying that actually reached a remarkable figure of over 11,000 citations on Google Scholar. Um, and I think it's just because she was doing the work people needed to to hear that. So I remember when I received the news that my mom was ill. I mean, I will talk about it in another episode, just the traumatic nature of her death. Having to resuscitate your own mother, I think is a privilege, but also the worst thing that you can ever go through as a child. And um, resuscitating someone who's clearly you see they're not going to make it. But you are in such denial, you know, if it was someone else, you know, as, as a medical doctor, I would have said, okay, yeah, you know, nothing's going to happen here. And it was amazing to me how when, so this is what happens. I mean, just tell you the story. I get a call. They're trying to call me. They can't reach me. They reach my husband. I say, your mother has collapsed at home. Her calls would go rushing there, and she was busy doing her own business. She was selling chicken, and yeah, my mom had collapsed, and I still have that vivid image in my mind of us pulling her up the stairs. My mom was a short, statured woman and a bit overweight, and I just couldn't believe it, you know? Like, I saw it, and I knew, okay, this looks like a stroke, because I saw that her, her mouth was deviated, but I I didn't want to acknowledge it, and even taking her to hospital, she wasn't breathing well, she kept, you know, just making bubbles, the worst thing, guys. And we took her, and we put her on the, on the bed. <sighs> We put on the bed and there was no one in the hospital for some reason. There was no one. And we're talking about denial. I was I was in utter denial. And you know what was crazy is that the people around me, my colleagues who eventually came, no one was brave enough to say, Hey Simo, you're sorry, man, but your mom, she's not gonna make it. 
all of them, I think, wanted her to leave for my sake. But she was taken to ICU. And she had a stroke. And it was a very bad one. Her brain, yeah, was severely impacted. But for seven days, she stayed in the ICU. And I remember people calling me and wanting me to come and, and see her. I'm like, no, don't call me. Just go see her by yourself. I mean, why? I wanted her to leave. But I knew that, honestly, this wasn't looking good. So denial can be that overwhelming that you just, you just, you know, pretend that it's not there. Um, because you are just in a stage, state of shock and how life has changed in an instant. You just spoke to this person. I just spoke to my mother uh, in the morning and how can life be, how, how can it be? How, you know? So the purpose of denial, it aids us in pacing our feelings of grief. Instead of becoming completely overwhelmed with grief, we deny it. We don't accept it. We stagger its full impact on us at one time. So, so it's like our body, because denial is actually a defense mechanism. So our body tries to protect us from the truth that we already know. Like just a bit, let it come bit by bit. So some people go through it, some people don't. I know for sure that I went through it. Maybe think about your own grief process and think, did you go through um, denial? So the second stage in the Dabda um grief model or the Kubler-Ross grief model is that of anger. And I felt myself, it was, I was just going through that moment again with my mom. I felt myself get angry again, you know? Um, because with anger, it's, 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 it's like reality has kicked in, right? Um, it's not, you are not in your preferable reality, which is what denial was. Um, but, um, and anger comes in, which is an emotion, when you, you, when you, the truth starts to set in. And you think, why me? You know, why my mother? I remember seeing other people, like when my mom was still in ICU, who were old, you know. And like, but why? Because why? my mom was only 52, and I asked, like, why, why, why can't she live up to 80? Why, why did this guy have to live until he's 60 and not my mom, you know? And um, I really, I really was angry. And I think I, I blame myself as well. Um, so the anger probably was turned towards myself, um, towards my myself really yeah some people will direct their anger towards friends or close family you blame someone if only you came in time um you find it incomprehensible of how something like this could happen to you 
And if you are strong in faith, you might start to question, question even your belief in God. Where is God? Why didn't he protect my mother? Um, but I didn't have that for some reason. When I, I was actually seeing a patient just uh, hours prior to, to me going to resuscitate my mom, and I saw my mother's arm, and it's like I was taking a blood pressure. And I was laughing because my mom had these big arms. And I said, oh, my mom and her big arms, I'll probably need a bigger cuff. And it was interesting to me that uh, my mom didn't have hypertension. And she had just actually recently she had um, been screened for all the conditions. So it was just interesting to me that the thing that eventually killed her was high blood pressure. So in, in terms of questioning God, I questioned, but then that vision or thought that I had while sitting there seeing patients gave me peace uh, because I thought, well, God prepared me for this because he gave me this thought. Why would he give me this thought kind of thing, you know? But anger is a real thing and um, the purpose of it is that um, they said in this other article that anger is a strength that binds your reality. Uh, you, feel, you might feel deserted, deserted or abandoned during a grief event, like that no one is there, you are alone in this world. The direction of anger towards something or somebody is what might bring you back to reality and connect you to people again. It's a thing. It's, it, you're feeling something, right? Rather than being just numb. You know, which is the denial stage. Um, it's something to grasp onto, a natural step in healing. So always say here, feel your feelings. Um, and be in your feelings. Give your feelings to God um, after you feel them. So the third stage will be bargaining. So like all of us, when something bad happens, you always like go to God, like God, if if they leave, if my mom leaves, I will do this for you. If my I must be honest, I never went through this stage. There was no bargaining with God. Um, I don't. I didn't say I will strive to be the best daughter. Not really. I I I really didn't go through bargaining. But people will say, um, this stage is like false hope. So you, you might feel falsely, you might falsely make yourself believe that you can avoid the grief uh, through a type of negotiation. If you change this, you'll change that, you know. Often people talking to God, you are so desperate to get your life back to how it was before the grief event. You are willing to make a major life change in an attempt toward normality so guilt is common among men among all people and it also goes with bargaining so you endure endless what if statements what if i had been in the house five minutes to now i i went through the what if moments i thought oh that time my mom called me and probably it was like two years ago maybe that was the start of it you know because you're trying to See if there's any place you could have changed what is going on now. And you find out there's nothing you can actually do to change what is 
going on but grief just brings such a radical spin into your into your life you're like what is going on i feel like i am lost in my own world everything looks unreal and yeah the fourth stage is depression so depression is commonly it's accepted in grief, I guess. Like most people feel like, think that the first thing you're going to see when someone is grieving is depression. But some people don't feel depressed. So when we speak about depression here, we speak about feeling low and sad and uh, difficulty in, in, in sleeping, having feelings of emptiness, um, feeling numb. Like, like you are in a fog, you don't want to get out of bed, the, the world might seem too much and too overwhelming for you to face. You don't want to be around others, you don't feel like talking, you experience feelings of hopelessness. You might even experience a suicidal thoughts, thinking what's the point of going on. I'd like to speak briefly here about the depression that is experienced in patients let me not say patients, let me say people, because these are not patients, these are people, because grief is not for people who are ill, it's for everyone. And um, depression that is experienced in a major depressive episode. So usually when people are grieving, when they have thoughts of dying, so they are thoughts of death. This is common in both a person who has a major depressive episode or disorder that requires antidepressants and someone who's going through grief, right? Both of them have thoughts of death. But the thoughts of death of someone who is um, grieving, they don't want to die because they feel like they are worthless, they are nothing, they are useless. They want to die because they want to go and join the person who has died, okay? So there's a sense of a longing for the person who's passed away. So that is very important way you know subtle way but important to be able to differentiate so the thought content of um the bereaved uh versus that of uh someone who is depressed and um also um you know with someone who's depressed they are pervasively sad they don't have any moments of you know, being happy. I'm talking about someone who's very, very depressed because some people, and when I talk about happiness, I don't talk about what you are seeing because a lot of people see people who are happy, you are smiling, and they're like, oh, they're fine. I'm talking about the subjective feeling. What do they feel, okay? So if people are feeling sad and unloved, then you might think this is more of um, a depression but in, in, in someone who is grieving, there is, there is a, a feeling of sadness, but it also is from that I miss whosoever passed. I missed whatsoever my life was like um, before. And it's not pervasive. It's on and off. So it comes at times and then it goes. It comes and then it goes. Okay, They call it the pangs of grief but very important to note if you know yourself or a loved one that is going through grief and is feeling suicidal no matter what the content is please contact your nearest doctor psychologist 
um, or clinic or call uh, your local um, um, emergency care center. I will leave um, some information in the show notes for those who are in South Africa. Okay, great. That's depression. And then the final stage, which is acceptance. But remember, people don't go through the stages as we're saying. It all depends on who they are and how what they're experiencing. So acceptance is the last stage of grief that was identified by Kubler-Ross. It's not in the sense that it's okay that my husband died, for example. Or it's okay that my mother died. But my mother died and I'm going to be okay. You know, and I think I was I was chatting to my friend, and she was saying, people say this to her that you know you're gonna be okay, but she's like, I'm never gonna be okay, okay. And uh, your emotions begin to stabilize. You re-enter reality. You come to terms with the fact that the new reality is that your your mother is not here, okay, which was my new reality, and that now I'm a breadwinner. Now I'm all these things in my family that I didn't want to be, that my mother was. Um, you have good days and you have bad days. And with me, my own grief experience with my mom was different because I remember, like, because I'm the firstborn, sort of, like, by default, I had to really step up and do this, do that for everyone. And it was kind of hard, you know. And everyone says, you're going to crash. You're going to crash. And honestly, I'm still looking to crash. <laughs> because I haven't had a crash by God's grace. Um, God really kept me. And um, I have a couple of scriptures that um, really helped me during that time. I'm working on something for you guys. Something very small. I'm probably going to release it by the end of this month. It is my birthday month. So take it as a small gift from me. On just like the scriptures that I, I, I used when I was going through my own grief experience. And just the epiphanies and the moments I had with God in walking through that stage in my life. So... Acceptance is that moment where you try to make meaning um, out of it. I think um, John Kessler talks about finding meaning as the sixth stage. He wrote some books with Kubler-Ross, and I think he has also a Facebook group if you are interested on grief, finding meaning, finding meaning after grief. So survivors... Um, need to reaffirm themselves and choose life which is often hard because you don't see a life without this person especially if it was a spouse or your mom or your daughter or your son like how do you live life without them what is life without them so there's a lot of adjustment and that uh, you know and adapting to new ways of doing things which is not it doesn't come easy And the final stage of grief, which is acceptance, plays a very crucial role, I think, just moving into generally how do you manage someone who's going through all these different stages um, of, 
of grief. But remember, this is not prescriptive. I keep emphasizing that because maybe you might say you did not go through all of that, but you can maybe identify some emotions that you also felt. Um, and maybe sometimes you fluctuated between being angry and being depressed or angry and bargaining and all of that. And so in terms of management, like most people often ask themselves, what must I do when someone is grieving? Uh, recently, someone just told me they lost their mother from COVID. And then they told me that they lost their brother. And I also had a family that lost their mother and their sister to COVID. Uh, so mass, mass bereavement. Um, and honestly, you don't know what to say. I mean, I've had my own grief experiences, but in that moment saying, I also love my mother, you're also going to be fine. Uh, I say it, but you must read the room, guys. You must be able to get where the person is. What people really need is someone to say, I'm here. How can I help you? You know, not to say I can imagine what you're going through because honestly, you can't really imagine what they're going through. Only they can imagine what they're going through. So the best thing to do if you want to help someone who's grieving is be there, be present. And like I think Tuli spoke about this when she described the roles that her family and friends played in her life. The basic things, getting them groceries, getting them food, making sure that they eat, making sure that they show up for all their appointments. You know, those things because often people don't even have energy to, to do those things. So the best thing you can do for anyone who's grieving if we have friends who are grieving from covid right now is to just be there for them honestly and that could be via whatsapp or zoom you know making zoom calls because you know with socially distanced now it's very hard to be in community make a zoom call um send a heart on whatsapp thinking of you send a prayer i'm praying for you uh, send flowers, send uh, food, you know, say your supper is on me today. You don't have to cook for them. You've ordered for them, you know, things like that. They're very thoughtful um, and they take away the strain uh, from the person of doing the everyday mundane tasks or cook and say, listen, I dropped the food at your gate and um, do a, a drive through visit where you are safe and they are also safe. Um, what is going to make um, the grief from COVID worse than any other grief that we've experienced is the fact that we cannot grieve together. Because people, uh, when they grieve with you, they take away part of the pain. That brings me to this term called prolonged grief. So it's a, a term by, described by ICD-11. ICD-10 is like the World Health Organization classification of mental um, and, and, and medical um, classification of diseases, right? So they call it PGD, which is prolonged grief disorder, which is a persistent and pervasive grief response characterized by longing for the diseased or persistent preoccupation with the diseased accompanied by intense emotional pain, including sadness, guilt, anger, denial, blame, 
difficulty accepting the death, feeling one has lost a part of one's life, and ability to, to experience an inability to experience positive mood, and so on. So this grief response, they say they ha- it has persisted for an atypically long period of time following the loss. So basically, it's grief that goes beyond six months. And it says it clearly exceeds social, cultural, or religious norms of the individual's culture and context and results in significant impairment in social, family, occupational, and other areas of functioning. So you always look at it in context. I know the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Health uh, Diseases also uh, considering this disorder in the form of complex bereavement. So let's say if you take all the feelings we were talking about in all the stages, um, but you take them as emotions and you continue to persistently experience them way beyond a period of six months. They say that is prolonged and you probably would need um, other interventions then. So the interventions that you would require really depend on you and where you are. Remember we said grief is a dreadful life event. But it is normal, it happens. So most of us are able to, you know, travel the grief terrain and go through all the emotions without ever needing um, um, intervention from a doctor or a psychologist. They say 9.8% of people um, will develop persistent grief disorder. Uh, after a close person has died, okay, nine point eight percent—that's like ten percent. So one, almost like one in ten people will develop that. So common, but not really so very common, okay. So which means that you know, if the ten people listening to me statistically, one will develop this disorder, and it's it's sort of like the the aim that I did this episode was to make us aware to tell when is this normal when is it abnormal again I don't like us pathologizing what is normal but um you know it's just also about assessing risks so when you are feeling suicidal please get in contact with your doctor when your family member is expressing suicidal thoughts please don't sit on it mental illness is real and it can kill okay so um the kind of interventions that you would have usually is grief counseling and grief therapy um, for the individual or as a group or as a family depending remember on your needs so that's why you need to consult because it needs to be customized uh, for you Okay, and you can join groups online um, because in the days of COVID and, and be able to get that assistance from whoever um, um, is actually heading those groups. So the South African Depression and Anxiety Group is a good one to go and look over and see if they have any counseling services, getting into community, like we said, um, is very important. And also... So talking about, so that would be your first line of management, usually with grief is counseling. Um, but if you also have problems with your sleep, some people might be given uh, sleeping tablets. If people have problems with um, anxiety associated with the grief, um, 
you need to be seen by a professional and to weigh the risks and benefits and see if you would want that. Some people prefer not to um, because the grief is, like I said, is a natural phenomena. You are supposed to feel those negative emotions and those difficult emotions and those uncomfortable emotions. It's about sitting and being in those emotions and you know, walking over to the other side, victorious. And understand that grief, you know, we say six months, but honestly, six months to a year, it, it depends on you. There are pangs of grief. There are days when it feels like this is the first day they told me that my mom was gone. And the quality of your relationship, the quality of your relationship with your loved one now will determine the kind of grief that you will actually have. And sort of like the regrets that you will have on the other side of dying. So, guys, that's it, I think, from my side. Thank you so much for joining. It's always such an honor to to have you. Please, guys, remember to take care of yourselves. We're living in very difficult times. Um... We need to do the things that we need to do to make sure that we are keeping ourselves well. We're doing the things that are feeding our souls, the things that are making us feel like we are so alive because that's what's important, okay? Um, I think it's my husband who said that it's not about, you know, how much the water is around you, but how much water you are willing to let in. That is what will make you sink. So the circumstances, sometimes we cannot control, but we can control our windows and close the windows and make sure that we stay afloat. So the things that keep you well, keep on doing those. I hope you like this. Tell me, remember, send me an email. (coughs) Excuse me, guys. I think I'm going to be going back on social soon. I said um, I wanted to get off because of exams. So I'm like going to be doing this on and off because I want to achieve I want to actually, you know, make for some goals and try to really control my social media uh, during this time. So if you enjoy these mental health pieces, tell me and then we'll do more of them. And um, I'll try to get some guests as well who know about this. COVID again, how to get people. But listen, I'll try and do my best for you guys. Thank you so much for joining and may you have the best week ever until we meet again. Bye.